This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. Two years ago, Professor Andrew McIntosh was working on the integrity of the Australian government's carbon credit system. Now, he's turned whistleblower. We got into a position where we felt we had no option. We, we could literally just walk away and stick our heads in the sand, in which case I, I feel and my colleagues felt that we would be um, then essentially part of the problem. He claims Australia's carbon credit system is largely a sham and a fraud that's hurting the environment and has already wasted more than $1 billion in taxpayer funding. Energy and Emissions Reduction Minister Angus Taylor has rejected these claims, calling them completely unfounded. So, does this system, which is pivotal to Australia's plan to reach net zero emissions by 2050, actually work? Today, the whistleblower calling Australia's carbon credit system a sham. It's Monday, the 4th of April. Adam, can you tell me about what you did last Wednesday? So I was in Canberra for the fun of the federal budget. And the day after the federal budget, I went to ANU, the Australian National University, to the College of Law. Adam Morton is Guardian Australia's Environment Editor. And went to visit Professor Andrew McIntosh. Testing, testing. Yep. Who's a professor of law and policy in the College of Law. Yeah, I'm Andrew McIntosh. I'm a professor at the ANU College of Law and I'm director of research at the ANU Law School. Who has, over a long period of time, played a central role in the design of Australia's carbon credit scheme. Shortly after the coalition was elected in 2013, he became chair of the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee, or ERAC for short, which is basically an integrity body uh, to make sure that we can have confidence that cuts in emissions in Australia are the real thing, that they really are being achieved. And he held that role for six and a half years. And why were you there to speak to him? So he left that role two years ago, but has continued to be looking at the design of Australia's carbon credit system. And two weeks ago, he made quite a splash by coming out and speaking publicly for the first time about his concerns about this system, that he thought the system as it currently is working is a fraud on the environment, a fraud on taxpayers, and a fraud on consumers. In many cases, the credits that have been issued are not real and or they're not additional. And that is the basis for me to say things like the scheme is a a fraud, the scheme is a sham. He has been at the heart of this system since its inception, is seen within government and outside as close to the national expert as we have in this incredibly complicated field of work. So for him to come out and say the overwhelming majority of what we're doing in this area is, as it currently stands, effectively worthless is an extraordinary thing and something that should be taken really seriously. Before we take a close look at some of the claims Professor McIntosh has made, I think we need to understand a bit more about carbon credits and how they work. So what are these, Adam? What are carbon credits? Oh, the fun world of carbon credits. Everybody loves talking about them. Um, look, it can be a difficult concept to get your head around, but in basic terms, a carbon credit, if someone holds it, it's a permit that allows them to emit greenhouse gas, right? So a carbon credit represents one tonne of carbon dioxide emissions that 
have been avoided or cut. So they haven't got into the atmosphere. And governments and businesses can buy carbon credits to say they're acting on climate change and reducing their own carbon footprint. Just to step back a tiny bit, you say, you know, emissions that have been avoided or cut. How do you avoid or cut emissions and who is doing the avoiding and cutting? A lot of this happens out on the land in Australia's vast expanse. It's uh, landholders of really big parts of uh, the country and businesses in some other lines of work. The big ways that it happens under Australia's system is you can earn carbon credits by regenerating forest uh, and woodland. The idea is supposed to be that areas that have been cleared are allowed to regrow and that draws carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and therefore you know, reduces the impact that humans are having on the climate. And that's called human-induced regeneration or and abbreviated as HIR. Uh, another major method is a slightly more contentious method called avoided deforestation. In simple terms, the idea here is a landholder has forest that they have a permit to clear and had planned to knock down, which would release emissions. And they can earn carbon credits by saying, well, we won't knock that forest down, we'll protect it instead. The idea is they're foregoing the chance to earn on their farm by clearing the forest and using it for you know, whether it's livestock or whatever, to, you know, develop their farming business. Instead, they can be paid to protect the forests that they would have otherwise cleared. And then the third big way within this method is to do with landfill sites, rubbish dumps, if you like. So these places release a lot of methane, which is a really potent greenhouse gas, about 80 times uh, more potent in terms of its capacity to trap heat than carbon dioxide. And there are projects at these waste sites that capture the methane rather than letting it go up into the atmosphere. So uh, between them at the moment, these three methods, human-induced regeneration, avoided deforestation and landfill gas, make up about three quarters of all the carbon credits or 75% that are being issued in Australia. And then the farmers, the landholders, the owners of the waste sites get the carbon credits for what they're doing and then can sell them on and they get revenue for selling those carbon credits. Right. So a farmer can plant a bunch of trees and sell that credit on to the government or something like a coal company, I imagine. How does that final process work, the selling of the credit? To start with, to be honest, under Tony Abbott, when he was elected as Prime Minister back in 2013, they called this direct action and it was going to be the main way that the coalition was promising to cut greenhouse gas emissions. And it's still one of their main policies. So they they hold an auction businesses and landholders bid in and those it's a reverse auction. So those who are saying they can cut emissions for the cheapest amount win contracts and then have to deliver a certain amount of emissions cuts over time and the government pays for those credits. Hmm. And who runs these auctions and figures out what projects are worth a carbon credit? So the central government agency in management of carbon credits and in management of the emissions reduction fund is the clean energy regulator which runs the auctions, uh, buys the credits uh, and oversees the process in which credits are issued. And and it's worth saying here that businesses also buy these credits. We've seen, obviously, since the Paris Climate Agreement was signed in 2015, a big push for everybody to act on the climate crisis. Uh, A growing number of fossil fuel industries and other businesses have their own targets. And a big way that they're going about meeting those is by buying carbon credits 
rather than just cutting emissions on site. It's a mix of those things. But there's a growing, what's called a voluntary market, where businesses don't have to buy these credits, but are willing to buy them. And that's quite a lucrative market for landholders and farmers and others to sell into. The Emissions Reduction Fund has $4.5 billion committed to it. Last year, there were about 700,000 credits that were being sold on the market, up from 25,000 back in 2015. And the private market, which businesses buy credits on, was worth $150 million in 2021. Mm. Right. So as you said, this is really important for big companies and also for the government to show that they're acting on climate change. How central is this whole market and scheme to the government's current action on climate policy right now? Well, it's a big part of the government's policy. They released a plan last year under which they said they would be getting to net zero emissions by 2050 and using and expanding uh, carbon offsets another way of saying carbon credits, is a really big part of that, up to 20% of that cut, they say. You know, to be honest, a fairly simplistic table that doesn't spell it out in any great detail um, of the cut would come from paying for offsets, both in Australia and from overseas. So, Adam, it sounds like there is quite a bit of money to be made in this system and quite a lot riding on it in terms of Australia's climate targets. I just want to go back to Professor McIntosh. You said that he worked on the integrity of this system, the kind of integrity body over the Emissions Reduction Fund. What did he say about his time there and why he decided to blow the whistle on the government? So he's constrained in what he can say about his time there. You know, he signed away his right to talk about that in any detail. I'm not allowed legally to talk about anything that happened in the committee, so I can't go into that. But what I can say is the minute that I stepped down from the committee in 2020, early 2020, that I immediately raised my concerns with others. Right. So he's now spoken out two years later. What exactly has he said and done? Just as he came out and spoke publicly about his concerns, he also released four new academic papers with a bunch of colleagues that they've had reviewed by other colleagues uh, and published them on the ANU website that details their concerns in significant length. What are the main critiques that are outlined in these papers? He says that many of the carbon credits are of low integrity, meaning they're just really not storing the carbon that is claimed. And as we've said, he says that could be 75 to 80% of the credits that are issued are of low or questionable integrity, and that's a huge problem. And he's particularly critical of the clean energy regulator in its role in this and says it is both, I think fair to say, not doing its job properly and is conflicted in terms of the huge range of responsibility it has both to issue credits and buy credits. Right. So let's look a little closer at these claims, starting with the low integrity credits. What's an example of this? What is Macintosh focused on? If we look at particularly at, at his papers, three of the four look at uh, human-induced regeneration, which is re- the, really the, the big one here, uh, Macintosh says, and it involves regrowing native forests in cleared areas. Basically, a landholder gets credits for looking after the land in a way that allows these forests and other vegetation to grow and removes things that would prevent them growing. And that's what they're getting credit for here. Now, one of the key ways that uh, landholders are said to do this is by they stop livestock grazing in that area and that by removing the livestock, 
that gives an opportunity for the forest and woodland and vegetation to grow. They've looked at the scientific evidence and say that removing livestock from these areas actually isn't really what makes the difference. What makes the difference in driving the growth is rainfall. And if you get more rainfall, you'll get growth and that livestock aren't really going to be eating trees, for example. So your cows aren't coming in and eating regrowing forest. So this is a clear point of dispute between McIntosh and the regulator. Right. So he says you can't just pay people for taking sheep out of a paddock. It's not really reducing emissions. The regulator disagrees on the science of that, though. What else does McIntosh have to say? They also say that they have strong evidence that in some of these places, the forest hadn't actually been cleared to a level that it should have been to count as regrowth under the human-induced regeneration method. So basically, there was still forest there. And you were giving credits, therefore, for stuff that isn't new. It hasn't grown. Right. So there might be a paddock that's like pretty scrubby and covered in bush already. And they're saying, look, we've regrown this when the trees were just, they're pre-existing. And they're saying in other cases that people are being given credits to grow trees in areas where it's just not sustainable for those forests to survive for a long time. Obviously, for this to make sense, those forests need to then store the carbon for generations. We need them to be stay standing. And he's saying it's part of this country, you know, Australia obviously is, it's pretty brutal out there in parts of the Australian outback that they're just not places that you could assume that forests will survive. If we get particularly dry years, they're going to fall over. There's no evidence to suggest that they're going to keep this carbon stored over the time frame that um, it needs to be. He summed it up during his media blitz a couple of weeks ago in an interview on the ABC 730. So basically payments are being made to people to not chop down forests that were never going to be chopped down. So McIntosh and his team looked at 119 projects across in you know, outback New South Wales and Queensland. And across these, 17.5 million carbon credits have been issued for those projects, which means that we're supposed to have had 17.5 million tonnes of carbon dioxide stored. They found across all those projects that the actual forest area had barely increased and that for 59 of the projects, so basically half, the amount of forest across those had actually in total reduced. And those projects had got about half the credits, 8.2 million carbon credits. They would be worth more than $100 million. And so that's more than $100 million that has gone to projects where there's no expansion of forest. So it's it's money spent for nothing. The government is paying more than $100 million for an outcome where forests have actually reduced rather than regenerated. Yep. So that is human-induced regeneration. This is just one of the three main carbon credit schemes that work in Australia. Adam, are there issues with the others as well? Macintosh... And his team and others who have looked at this say, yes, uh, a bunch of concerns have been raised. Another one we should talk about is avoided deforestation, where landholders are issued carbon credits for not removing forest and vegetation from their land. There was a report last year by the Australian Conservation Foundation and the progressive think tank, the Australia Institute, which said that avoided deforestation projects were essentially junk. Uh, as in most cases, they were never going to be cleared. And we did our own investigation at Guardian Australia back in 2018. And we found there were, you know, broadly speaking, doubts about several methods that are used to generate credits. So that's the first issue you mentioned, these low integrity credits. But the other, 
is the regulation of this whole system by the clean energy regulator. What did McIntosh have to say about the clean energy regulator? Uh, I think it's fair to say he's sharply critical of the clean energy regulator and saying it plays far too big a role, is wearing far too many hats in how this system is managed. So the regulator is involved for you know, designing and regulating carbon credit methods, so basically the ways in which carbon credits are generated. Uh, it advises the secretariat that oversees the integrity committee, which was what McIntosh chaired. So it has a role connected to that, even though the committee is supposed to be entirely separate and reports to the minister. And it buys credits on behalf of the government. You know, the regulator is at the moment easily the biggest purchaser of credits. And McIntosh basically says that this is a textbook example of poor governance, that if you've got a regulator that's making the rules, deciding what can earn a credit, how credits are generated and then buying them, you have not got sufficient distance to ensure the integrity of the scheme. And then he he thinks there needs to be a, a full inquiry into this and that the regulator's powers need to be broken up. Can you clarify that a little? I mean, is it kind of like a student setting themselves homework, doing the homework, marking the homework, <laughs> giving themselves an A, except so much worse because there's, you know, billions of dollars involved in this scheme. That might, uh, you know, kind of um, slightly oversimplify things, but it's not an un- completely unfair. I mean, it's if you're regulating how a system works and also playing in the system as someone buying the goods that's being created, that potentially raises some issues. That's basically the nub of the argument about the clean energy regulator. Next, the regulator and the government respond to these claims. Hello, I'm Zoya Patel. I'm a writer and editor and one of the hosts of Guardian Australia's new books podcast, Book It In. Each episode, we hear from authors about the big ideas behind great books. If you can find a book which not only celebrates queer love, but allows you to celebrate your own queer identity, I think that can be incredibly powerful. Along with my co-host, Lucy Clark, features editor at The Guardian, and author and writer Paul Daly, each week we have in-depth discussions with diverse Australian authors. When you see yourself always as the person with the problem to be fixed, how can you grow? How can you feel empowered? How, how can you start, you know, thinking about and stating your human rights? Survival, like justice, is one of these things that I think can really mess with our minds because on the one hand we know it's something that we're entitled to and deserving of, um, but at the same thing it's something that continues to be denied us even in 2022. New episodes of Book It In come out every Friday. Just search for Book It In in any podcast app and hit follow or subscribe. How's the regulator and the Australian government responded to McIntosh's comments and this this research that he's put out? Well, they've uh, basically rejected them outright. The regulator gave a fairly long response to all of McIntosh's claims. I guess it would be fair to summarise it as saying that they disagree with his interpretations. They say McIntosh and his colleagues don't have access to all the data that they do, so some of his 
findings about failure to actually cut emissions through these human-induced regeneration projects don't stand up. The regulator says that considerable work has already been undertaken to look at the problems that McIntosh and his colleagues raise, that independent experts have tested them and found no evidence to support that. And what about the government? Has anyone spoken out after McIntosh's claims? Uh, Well, the Emissions Reduction Minister, who is responsible for these areas, Angus Taylor, said as chair of the committee, McIntosh had reviewed and signed off on methods that he's now claiming lack integrity, and Taylor's office raised the question of whether that many was now suggesting that he provided flawed advice to several cabinet ministers over his six and a half years running the Integrity Committee. Taylor also gave a speech on Friday to a forum run by the Carbon Market Institute, which represents all the businesses that play in this carbon market, in which he was more directly critical than he had been so far of Macintosh. I believe these criticisms are completely unfounded. Sensational claims of fraud, rorts and sham amount to a direct attack on a vast network of farmers, traditional owners, service providers, investors, auditors, conservationists and public servants striving to accelerate support for stronger industrial emissions reductions. When industries come under political attack, they have a responsibility to stand up, not for themselves, but for the facts. So there's a few things being levelled at Macintosh here. You know, why didn't you raise stuff while you were there? Surely you were culpable in some of this, having been part of the system for so long. And also now you you just don't have the information and data that you should to make some of these claims that you're making. Does Macintosh agree with any of that? Does he refute that? He sort of, I guess, takes it head on by saying that he feels like he should have done more when he was there and, and accepts that he shares responsibility. I don't absolve myself of responsibility. I was there. I should have dug deeper. I should have pushed more. Absolutely, I should have. But as I've said elsewhere, I'm not here to attribute blame. I'm here to say there's a problem that we need to fix. But he says the response from the regulator is disappointing. He says that the work that he and his colleagues have done has been is rigorous and has been peer-reviewed by other experts and that no one involved feels like their concerns have been addressed. There hasn't been anything in the response that's made him step back from anything he's said. He says, that of course, it's possible that they have data that suggests that there may be errors in his papers, and he'd like to see all the data so he can test that. For people simply to say, you don't understand, you don't have all the data, go away, everything here is fine, I think that's a thoroughly unsatisfactory response by a regulator. One point he makes is that he has been trying, before going public, to work with the regulator, work with the department to get some of these issues addressed, has been raising his concerns repeatedly and only decided to go public because he was getting nowhere and felt like his claims were not being taken seriously. So they had advance notice and despite that, We still haven't seen anything substantive from them. We haven't seen any data that they've released to back up any of their claims. They haven't released any of the reports that we're asking them to release. And to me, that suggests that that we're right. So, Adam, as we know, the federal government is relying on carbon credits for up to 20% of their emissions reductions in order to get to net zero by 2050. If McIntosh is right, 
and this system isn't working and it's floundering. What does that mean for our emissions? One of the risks here that is being discussed by people who work in the carbon market and know it uh, since Macintosh went public is that if whoever is in government does not respond adequately to either you know address these concerns, quell these concerns or change the system so that they don't linger, is that the carbon market could crash. And what I mean by that is businesses would not have faith that the credits are what's claimed and therefore what they're buying would think would think they are junk and no longer buy them and the value in those credits would fall. And what, if that were to happen, that's very hard to recover. That's happened internationally with a system that was known as the clean development mechanism. Mm. So it could invalidate the integrity of the system. And we're not at that stage. That's really extreme. But that is why people want to see a full government response to this from whoever is in power after the election. If we were to continue on our current path, Macintosh says not only are we not reducing emissions, but it actually leads to an increase in emissions because businesses are increasing their emissions and saying they'll buy credits to limit that. But if those credits aren't real, then the emissions are just going up. We're not offsetting them as they claim. So it's a waste of money and it's really bad for the environment and the climate if what Macintosh says is true and it's not addressed. It sounds like from the response that we've seen so far from the government and from the regulator that there will not be further inquiries, there's not the kind of independent review that Macintosh has called for. What could we see after the election, especially if we have a new government, if we have a Labor government? What do you think will happen in this system? So Chris Bowen, who is the responsible um, shadow minister, had already committed to a review of this system if Labor wins. And he's reiterated that in media interviews since Macintosh came public. He hasn't said that he agrees with McIntosh or thinks he's right, but thinks that it's a credible claim, given where it's come from, that needs to be taken seriously. Mm. And Labor has said they would see the carbon credit market being even more important under Labor and expanding than under the coalition. Mm. So both sides of politics want this system to flourish. Labor, just how far they'd go in government if they were to win, we don't know. So regardless of who wins the election in the next couple of months, either major party wants this to be a big part of Australia's climate solution. Is that the way to go, though? If it's shown that there are fundamental flaws in this system, should it just be scrapped? That's an incredibly vexed question. I mean, no one or next to no one would argue that it should be scrapped entirely, but there is an argument about how much we should be relying on offsets rather than cutting emissions directly. Mm. It's not an argument that has a lot of sway with either of the major parties, to be fair. So I don't think we're going to go down that path, as we've said. I think it's really important to say that McIntosh is a strong believer in the market. He was very clear in saying we need this market to work. There are industries like uh, cement production, agriculture, steel, are some examples where it's really hard to make cuts quickly and using offsets makes good sense. And he wants the problems that he diagnoses to be fixed, not for the market to be shrunk or reduced. He just wants more integrity in it. We need to get to the bottom of what's occurred and why it's occurred. And then we need someone to chart a course out of where we are and to do it in a way that the public can have confidence and even the market players can have confidence that 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 roadmap is going to last and it's going to produce the sustainable market that most of us want. 
He's not someone you can dismiss out of hand as an environment group or a left-wing campaigner. He is someone who has worked in the system and wants it to work and has been quite precise with his criticisms while at the same time using extraordinary language like calling it a fraud, a sham and a rort. They're incredibly strong words, right? You know, we certainly didn't think it was going to go as big as it did. We didn't think the story would be as as big as it did. We, We anticipated pushback, but it's obviously very different to feel the full brunt of it. You know, so if someone asked me, was it worth it? I would certainly pause. And, you know, the weight that he feels as someone who has come out and is carrying that sort of criticism on his shoulders and leaving himself open to professional blowback is really significant. But ultimately, I felt we were in a position where we almost had to. It's so obvious to us that the market is fundamentally lacking in integrity. It had got to a point where in order for the good of of the scheme itself and the, the good of carbon markets going forward, we had to come out. That was Professor Andrew McIntosh and Guardian Australia's Environment Editor, Adam Morton. You can read Adam's reporting on this issue at theguardian.com, including the original piece titled Australia's Carbon Credit Scheme Largely a Sham, says Whistleblower, who tried to rein it in. We've linked to that on the full story page as well. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe and Karishma Luthria. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Mattignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Mephiotes. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. It does help other people find the show as well. Okay, that's it for today. See you tomorrow.